0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, th- this is a game that if,
1: if you can't get ready for this one, then you, you probably don't need to be playing college football or, or at Nebraska because this is a game that everybody's ready for and everybody wants to win this game and everybody better leave it all on the field on this one because th- this is a game that's super, super important to not only our program, but the, the state of Nebraska.
0: Right, we gotta be constructive about what went on on Saturday and then just turn the page, move on to the next the next game on um, these weeks go by fast. So capitalizing on every day, preparing the best of our ability every day is going to put us in the best position to succeed on Friday. We're, we're so much better in so many ways. But we weren't Saturday, and that's, that's what frustrates me is we've taken steps forward. I feel like we took a step back Saturday. We got more talent in this program than we've had the last two years. The talent keeps growing. A lot of the good players that are playing for us are young. Uh, Freshman uh, playing for the first time, it you know to win in this league, you got to not only have the athletes on the field and have the right X's and O's, you got to execute it really well, and that's easier to do with a veteran team than his young team.
2: And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Line Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett here with you on the holiday week here as America is working less this week, and we'll get you ready a couple days earlier for Nebraska, Iowa, as that game on Black Friday set for a noon kick, not an eleven a.m. Robin as. Uh, we've been so accustomed to. Uh, we get an extra hour. It's a noon kick on Fox. But man, where do you start? I mean this this week going into it. Sure, Robin, a one and three start was always possible. In fact, the Vegas numbers say Nebraska should be one and three. Nebraska was only favored in one game and underdogs in three, and they're one and three. So should we be surprised they're one and three? Maybe not. But I think it's the nature of the way the loss happened last week against Illinois. I think a lot of people assumed this program was done with moments like that, embarrassing moments where, you know, you you don't even want to put on your Husker gear and walk around because you're so embarrassed with the way the team played moments where when you leave watching the game, whatever you're doing Saturday, you go home and you're just in the worst mood ever, and it carries over to your Sunday. And that's pretty much been the state of Nebraska this entire week. Everybody is just angry about what we saw on Saturday because it was inexcusable in a lot of ways – And now I don't want to call it the panic buttons being hit, but it feels like a lot of people have hit the panic button.
3: Yeah. And you for the sole reason, uh, as you said, people are embarrassed and they're tired of being embarrassed by what they love. Yeah. The one thing, you know, when it comes to sports that they've they've hitched their their livelihood to. So uh, it's, you know, one of those deals where I think it's just the, the fatigue of constantly being let down by nebraska football and here we are in in year three and things have not gotten any better from where they were in year one to where the same mistakes happen every game every drive every quarter and all that uh and there's been no encouraging reasons to believe that things are headed in the right direction and you know they got a staff that keeps saying that we know where this thing's headed we're a more talented team it sure didn't look like it on Saturday where they were completely outmatched in every facet of the game by an Illinois team that is regarded as the worst team in the conference. Uh, that that can't happen. I mean, you can lose the game, but to lose in that fashion is, like you said, inexcusable. And it was probably one of the toughest pills for Nebraska fans to swallow, because you know they're they're just tired of getting kicked right now. Every time Nebraska loses, you got national media and all these people that are mad at Nebraska for wanting to play. They pile on. Well, because every they time. love the
2: traffic and the in the clicks exactly. Nebraska gives them.
3: But but every time that happens, I mean that that just kind of. It wears on you to the point where, you know, it's, you know, it's almost start questioning, is it worth me putting my heart and soul into this just for this type of result?
2: And obviously a lot of people frustrated now because you go out to Iowa, you're a two-touchdown underdog now on Black Friday. Meanwhile, Iowa, on the other hand, and we'll hear from Tom Kaker later in the show, uh, he is the insider among insiders that covers Iowa football, um, has been covering the team for over 20 years and he'll give us some more insight, but this is an Iowa team that started 0 2 with an opening loss to Purdue, a week two loss to Northwestern, both very very close losses. They've won three in a row by 20 plus points, so they have found their stride. Typical Kirk Ferentz team. They instead of having that slow start when they eked out against Northern Iowa, they lost their early games to Northern Illinois or to Northwestern and uh, Purdue, but now they have found their stride. And I think people know that this is not going to be an easy game for Nebraska regardless, and um, there's a lot of questions about the quarterback position, what they're going to do, and we'll get into that more specifically. I want to give that a whole segment, Robin, Mm -hmm. next. Uh, But just this game with Iowa, you know, it's two teams playing each other in Nebraska's case at the wrong time, and Iowa's obviously playing their best football right now.
3: Yeah, couldn't uh, dial up much worse as far as where this season is heading for both respective teams. But, you know, you look at just Nebraska specifically, I mean, it's – it's asking a lot uh, for them to somehow find all the answers to all the problems that we saw on Saturday and do it on a short week against a team that is playing arguably, you know, maybe outside of Ohio State as well as anybody in the conference right now over the past three weeks. And uh, I was finding their stride and Nebraska completely lost. And is suddenly something going to uh, click with the Huskers this week in practice? You know, maybe I'm not going to hold my breath on that. Uh, but, you know, this is, you know, from the fan perspective as well, I mean, not only uh, are they still licking their wounds from Saturday, but now, you know, you got Iowa and Nebraska's lost its last five in this rivalry to Iowa. And that is just such a bitter taste for so many fans that they're just already expecting the worst. And, you know, quite
2: frankly, I don't blame them. Yeah, Nebraska has not beaten Iowa since Bo Pelini's final game. And there's a lot of history in that. And Tom Kaker is going to tell, we'll talk about that more. But you think about that moment, Sean Eichhorst fired Pelini after beating Iowa. And then he trashed Iowa in his comments, basically saying the win over Iowa means nothing. Nine and three means nothing. And beating Iowa had no part of my decision to fire Bo Pelini. If they would have won by 100, I was going to still fire Bo Pelini. And that actually woke up Iowa to the point where they've had one of their better stretches since that moment under Kirk Ferentz.
3: Yeah, and you know, thanks again, Sean Icores, for that parting gift. But uh, you know, I get what he was saying. I think those comments, you know, a lot, a lot of schools like to find bulletin board material. It wasn't really wasn't me like saying anything about his the respect level for Iowa. It was the fact that the decision was already made whether Nebraska was going to win that game or not. But of course, you know, just like Indiana was disrespected by some comments about you know Scott Frost asking why they never get to play Indiana. Iowa felt disrespected because of what the athletic director said in firing his head coach. I mean, you you pick and choose what you want to hear, but clearly that provided enough ammunition for Iowa to kind of, you know, bring the troops together and and get this thing five wins in a
2: row now. And speaking of Indiana, Tom uh, Allen has become basically like the Paul Rhodes of post-game sound now. (laughs) I mean, every week he cries and, you know, it, it gets everybody emotional about how they've played and, I'll be honest. I was surprised they played Ohio State like they did. I was surprised Michael Penix Jr. moved the ball on their defense at that level. Uh, but in some ways, maybe not. I mean, Nebraska moved the ball pretty well in Ohio State. When you if you want to be real about it, uh, they ran the ball for over two hundred, and they did a lot against the Buckeyes. And you know, I, I know they're the best team in the league right now, but maybe it's not as much as we think.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think Ohio State's defense isn't what it normally is, but a lot of it too is Indiana's good. And, I mean, they've earned their right at the table. I mean, they're a team that uh, is clearly one of the the top 20 teams in the country right now, if not higher, depending on who you ask. Uh, And they've proven it. I mean, by going to Ohio State or playing Ohio State the way that they did, uh, I think answered a lot of questions about how real that program actually was. In fact, they've gotten some breaks along the way, but uh, week in, week out, They've kind of solidified themselves as one of the better teams in this conference. And, uh, you know, again, from a fan perspective, you see Indiana is establishing itself as a Big Ten contender. While Nebraska, in the East. In the East. Not Nebraska just the Big Ten, here, in the East. Yeah, getting blown out at home uh, by three touchdowns to Illinois. Think about
2: this. Indiana is going to beat Penn State and Michigan both. They already have. They They took Ohio State to within a touchdown. Like, who in a million years could have seen that coming? Never. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about the quarterback race, what we think is going to happen this week in the future of Adrian Martinez and Luke McCaffrey. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show.
0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I've been kind of benched here before as a quarterback even for a short time during a game. I uh, got booed when I came back into the game uh, to some degree. Sometimes you need that shakeup, and it puts a – A chip on your shoulder there's no doubt in my mind Luke McCaffrey's the the future around here but right now to help us win we got to play the guy that gives us the best chance and I think Adrian's been playing with little chip on his shoulder Luke's playing well Uh, so we're going to evaluate this week and, and see which one goes out there I feel good about both of them we just need to keep coaching them as well as we can so we get the the best that we can out of them uh, he's responded really well. I mean, he's a competitor. He's always
1: been a fighter, and that's really part of the reason he's a captain. I mean, he's a he's a guy that he doesn't back away from a challenge. He always is going to stand up and fight, no matter what the odds are. And uh, that's why he's again a leader on this team and a captain. He's he's a guy that puts the team first before himself, and he's always he's always working to better himself and the team.
2: And we're back here on the Huskar Line Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett. This segment of the Huskar Line Show. Brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill. If you're looking for a socially distance safe place to watch the game on Black Friday, get on into Tanner's here in Lincoln on 30th and Yankee Hill. Plenty of room, plenty of space, um, great food, great opportunity to watch uh, Nebraska. Get out of the house a little bit, uh, as I know we're all cooped up. We're not going to be probably having our normal Thanksgivings that we're used to having. Uh, so get on in and Grab uh, food to go. Uh, get in uh, and check out Tanner's there on 30th and Yankee Hill. Robin, you heard Scott Frost address the quarterback situation. Um, you heard Matt Farniak talk about how Adrian's responded in the week. You know, a lot lots there to process for Nebraska at this point. And it, it will be interesting, you know, where this goes. But I think we both agree that this looks like it's going to be Adrian Martinez's job on Friday.
3: Sure seems that way. I uh, don't make those comments. I mean, you should, at least you wouldn't think if you were gonna stick with Luke, ride or die, and let him just kind of finish this season out, uh, you know, win, lose or draw. Because to make the comments where uh, we need to play the guys that are gonna give us the best chance to win, and saying that you know Adrian's playing with a chip on his shoulder like I did when I got benched. He's setting it up. Yeah. I mean, basically, I don't know how much more you need outside of a full-blown uh, official announcement. So, right now, yeah, I would expect Adrian to be the guy. I think that's the right call at this point. Luke, I think, has a lot of talent and a lot to work with down the road, but he is clearly not ready. Uh, I mean, the what he showed against Illinois, he just was not seeing the field. It got to the point where, I mean, after that first play, uh, he was so rattled and so nervous by the rush that he wasn't seeing anything past the pass rush to where he was sitting in the pocket, the rush would the, the pocket would collapse on him, and he'd take off and run. And he, there were wide-open receivers just streaking down the field uh, on multiple plays that he just did not see at all. And your offense will not function if that's what's happening at quarterback. And so, you know, maybe he has a little bit more of that, uh, that dynamic playmaking ability than Adrian does right now. But Adrian's at least going to see the play. I mean, he's going to know where to put the football. And uh, I still think that there's a role for Luke in this offense. I think you can still play both quarterbacks like um, you know, somewhat they did against Ohio State. But I think right now, Adrian, as your quarterback, gives you the better chance to win than Luke McCaffrey.
2: You're listening here to the Oscar Line Show. And Robin, I mean, I think there's a fair take here that maybe there was a little bit of overreaction to the benching of Adrian Martinez and we all get emotional. We all get hot takey in the world that we live in today. And yes, Adrian struggled against Northwestern. He made some mistakes. Turns but, out Northwestern's defense is pretty good. But when you hear Pat Fitzgerald this week say that this could be a similar defense to the 1995 team that went to the Rose Bowl, which was you know a defense that... I remember Mike Riley was the offensive coordinator for USC when they played Northwestern in the Rose Bowl, and he said that they were scared to death of that defense because there were no big plays allowed by them the entire year, and that's really that defense. They are not allowing big plays against anybody, and Adrian had some moments. They got in the red zone multiple times, and I think we're learning Northwestern's pretty good on defense, and Luke McCaffrey is pretty good at the things he can do well, but he can't read the field He's 10 of 24 right now of throwing passes between the numbers over the middle. Yep. Last week, he was 0 of 4 on throws that traveled longer than 20 yards, and he had two picks on those throws.
3: Now, I know that was also a big criticism for Adrian, the fact that there was no downfield passing game. But put it into some more context. The defenses he was playing were Ohio State, where uh, you know Nebraska was intentionally not trying to chuck the ball downfield against those defensive backs to, to risk uh you know making big time mistakes and then Northwestern turns out they're maybe one of the best defenses in the country. So I mean that's what he was up against and you know as, as far as trying to create vertical passing game and taking shots downfield those are probably the two worst defenses you want to try to do that against in the Big 10. So uh I honestly think that if Adrian Martinez would have started against Illinois Nebraska wins that game by two. He's touchdowns. had his best
2: games of his career against yes. Illinois.
3: And he he checks in, and yes, it was in garbage time with the game well in hand, but he was 3 of 4 passing, and his only completion was a drop, and he led him for a touchdown. I mean, <laughs> just their second touchdown pass of the season. So, uh, I mean, it, say what you want. Uh, Adrian right now gives him the better chance, and it's because he is the better passer and he has a better understanding of how to read defenses than where Luke is right now.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk offense now going into this Iowa game, Robin, and another thing is running back. For Nebraska, Dedrick Mills has really missed the last seven quarters of football, and they don't have a tailback, and really Dedrick Mills hasn't played well all year either, and that's played a big problem. You know, and if they don't have Mills – Healthy for this Iowa game, it's going to be really interesting how they run the ball because Luke McCaffrey is probably their best runner and he's a quarterback. And if you start Adrian, you have to think there'll be some imaginative stuff drawn up with Luke McCaffrey still involved in this game. And if they're going to, quote, bench him, I think they've got to figure out a way to massage it enough to say, look, you know, you're going to be a Taysom Hill type guy for us now. We're still going to play you a lot. And we don't have a running back and we need you to run the ball and do things for us too.
3: Well, right now, I mean, Luke McCaffrey is your best running back. I mean, he is by far the most productive offensive player on the team with his ability to run. And so to take that out of your offense, I think would be insane. So starter or not, Luke has to play. Uh, He is your most dynamic playmaker on offense and you have to get him involved. I saw a stat where Luke McCaffrey has more carries than all of Nebraska's running backs combined this season. So stop, he's going to have, he's going to have a role. And I think he needs to have a role, especially given the, the question marks at running back. I mean, Diedrich Mills had a really good game against Iowa last yet yeah, last year. And so not having him, can Marvin Scott be that guy? Probably not. Is Wandale, I mean, he's gotten multiple opportunities, but uh, really hasn't done much with them. And so, I mean, you have to be able to run the ball to beat Iowa. It's it's not a, a secret. And Luke McCaffrey is your best runner. And so, you got to find ways to get creative, like you said. Get Luke involved. Get Wandale still involved. But try to find a traditional running game as well to take the pressure off those quarterbacks.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Line Show, and Robin, the the offensive line too has been such a mixed bag as far as what we've seen from Nebraska and. You know, that's something that they, they've, they've got to figure that out. Um, I think the Jurgens injury, led by, you know, inserting Ethan Piper into more playing time, it just hasn't blended well. I mean, Juergens has played hurt. Piper is really young, and he's not quite ready, it appears, for some of the, what they're doing. Bo Wilson's limited a little bit physically. And then Matt, Matt Farniak is, you know, you're just trying to put him where he can help you, and... I just feel like that line too has been a big part of things uh, for Nebraska, why they've struggled. Yeah, and
3: particularly in the run game. Uh, those running backs, you know, they obviously have missed some, missed some spots here and there, but uh, the push, the lack of push, especially in that Illinois game, Illinois' defensive line dominated at the point of attack to where, I mean, the only way Nebraska was moving the football was Luke just scrambling around making plays. And uh, you know, it doesn't matter if Dedrick Mills is healthy or, you know, if you have a Mon Green back there, if you cannot create holes uh, to a much better degree than what Nebraska's offensive line is doing right now, your offense is going to become predictable and one dimensional, and it's going to make everything significantly more difficult. That's why all year this offense out after they get off that script to begin the game, it's been like pulling teeth trying to gain yards. Well,
2: we're going to talk more now about the defense next as, Eric Schneider's crew has a tough task ahead to slow down this Iowa Hawkeye running attack. We'll break that down next. You're listening
0: here to the Husker Line Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Yeah, are, are we exactly where
1: we want to be? Probably not, but you can't blame you can't blame the players. Saying we don't have the right players, that's not an excuse. Um, we have the right players. We have good players. We have good kids. We've got to get them more ready to play football and we've got to find a way to help them be better at their jobs, help them succeed on the field. So I, I don't want to sit here and say we need different players because that, that's not an excuse. We, we, we've got to play with the guys that we've got, and we've got good ones. And I don't want to take anything away from the guys we've got. Um, they can they can do this. I have confidence in them. They can do this. Um, do we always want to recruit more guys, more talent? Absolutely. But we need to get this done with the people we have in the program right now.
2: And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. That was defensive coordinator Eric Chenander just trying to figure out what's going wrong with the defense. And you could say it's talent. You can you can blame it on a lot of things. I mean, I personally think the offensive struggles have as much to do about the defense as well. I mean, the offense is built to score and drive, and they're not doing that. And then that ripples back to the defense. But you go back, Robin, to the second half of that game, Illinois' first three possessions – were 10, 12, and 16 play drives, I think. or It might have been 14, but they held the ball for 16 minutes on their first three possessions of the second half combined. And, you know, that that fake punt, you know, it's amazing when you just go back and study that game. Nebraska's defense comes out and plays their best series of the game, three straight plays, boom, 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 punt, and they allow that play, and then the dam just came down, it felt like, at that point.
3: Yeah, I mean, it was obviously a major turning point because Nebraska – finally, you know, seemed like they were coming out of the locker room with some fire after all season, that being kind of their their death note, just so to speak, to where they had, uh, you know, none of that to start the second half. They, well, they came out playing. And then to have a play like that, and as ridiculous as it was, we are like... <laughs> The guy, Blake Hayes or whatever his name is, was like didn't know whether to run. Then he like was gonna punt. Then he was gonna run. Then he, and it was just like
2: it's like he had a corn cob up as you know what? Right. And he was just like he he was like if I don't get this, Lovey Smith is gonna literally run yeah, me out of town. You
3: could just basically like play Yaggity Sacks on there, and it would be the perfect Cause theme song. Think for that if
2: Nebraska play. is in position and stops him, all of a sudden that second half's a lot different, right? I mean, sure they're getting the ball back down. I think it was thirty-one seventeen on that on that. Uh, Yeah. On that play. Yeah. I mean,
3: yeah. And so I think that was obviously a key turning point, but you got to go back to uh, just the setback and the step back that that defense took. I mean, yeah, they gave up 500 some yards to to Penn state, but you know, they did so on a ton of plays and Nebraska doesn't win that game without the defense. Uh, The defense had been playing, played well enough for them to beat Northwestern. They played uh, I think better than anybody expected especially for the first half against Ohio State. So that was, I mean, obviously the offense, as has deservingly so, got the majority of the the criticism. But the, the, the more disappointing thing, in my opinion, was how the defense reverted uh, so much against an Illinois offense that wasn't doing anything to scare you. I mean, they were a total mess. that didn't have any playmakers that are going to be any like all-conference guys, and they did whatever they wanted. I mean, they're they're – Averaging like seven yards a rush, uh, almost 10 yards per play. Uh, I mean, it, it was like Nebraska had no answers for what Illinois was doing, and Illinois wasn't doing anything crazy. I mean, they were just running simple offense, and Nebraska could not execute or win it down.
2: And I think Jojo Dolman said it best the third down defense on the year, Robin, Nebraska is giving up well over 50% of third downs, which obviously that's way too much. I mean, that that's, you know they're close to 60% a lot of weeks right now. And a lot of that has to do with first and second down Nebraska's defense is giving up four yards on first down way too much. And there's so many of these third and twos, third and ones, and you're just not going to win. And Nebraska's defense has to get back into a winning third down. And then when they were in some of those situations, they chose to just bring a four man front a lot of times. And that wasn't getting to the quarterback. So then when they would, they would blitz it felt like the pre snap read from the booth was perfect on where the pressure was coming from. And Illinois would check into like the perfect call where like the blitz was coming and the screen went right over the blitz that yep. one play. I mean, yep. they, it, it just, they had they had Nebraska figured out, it felt like, in that game last week.
3: Yeah. And like, so there's other examples too where, you know, that, that big like 55 yard run or whatever, uh, Nebraska's defensive line did a stunt. And Illinois called a counterplay that basically took the running back right where the defensive line was leaving his gap on the stunt. And it was just like you couldn't have drawn it up any better than the way they did. And so I think that has something to say about what how prepared Illinois was in that game. They had an answer for everything Nebraska did on both sides of the ball, particularly with their offense and being able to manage, they, they they controlled the game with the way that they played. They wore down Nebraska's defense. They were executing time-consuming, you know, ten-plus play drives, uh, drive in, drive out, and eventually they dictated just how that entire game went from start to finish.
2: I mean, you could argue that that win practically saves Lovey Smith's job. I think there were some cries that you know if Nebraska drilled them and they were going to be set to be one and eight on the year, which that was very well possibility. Um, you know he may he may get let go, but I, I think now they've won two in a row. They're two and three. All of a sudden, like they want they they coach that game and had their team ready as if their jobs depended on it. Where I think Nebraska coached that game a little bit, where it felt like the players thought Illinois was just going to hand them a win, and that's where this program has gone wrong way too many times. They, I just
3: don't understand how Nebraska could have that mindset right now as a program. How could if you're in Nebraska, how can you take anything for granted based off what has happened? basically since 2016. I mean, it has been one disaster after another, and to think that you beat a winless Penn State team and you can not go hard in practice, the the comments made by some of the guys this week about receivers not running routes and not gaining the trust of their quarterbacks because they were, uh, you know, going 50% in in practice and, you know, the the mustache talk and stuff like that, like, you know, I just don't understand where that comes from, where where Frost can say that, uh, you know, the guys maybe thought they could take a week off, how, how does that happen? How, as a coach, do you let that happen? How as a staff? How is captains and senior leaders? Do you let that happen over the course of a full week to where, uh, you see it happening and in retrospect, you say, yeah, we just didn't practice well. Well, why did you let it happen? I, and especially in a game where we talked about, I mean, go back to last week's podcast, we talked about how important that game was for this program, that if they could string together two straight wins, suddenly you build the belief, you build the momentum and the swagger that this team has lacked for so long, and yet they had maybe their worst performance yet under Scott Frost.
2: When I feel like the kids of today's era, it's a little harder for them to call each other out. I mean, I, I just think it's hard to be mean to other people, um, at least face-to-face not on social media uh, but face face-to-face you just don't see kids call one another out like you did maybe when, when Scott Frost was playing and I think that's a little bit of the disconnect there the fans and everybody wanted to be like the good old days where you know yeah, Jason Peter shoved your head down a toilet if you didn't do anything <laughs> if you weren't doing something right and you know it's just a little bit different now and They've got to figure out a way to connect to these kids, and 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 that that's the challenge I think this staff has right now. How do you connect to these kids to get them focused to rise up? When you know, Robin, let's face it, they're only going to be they play an eight game schedule now, not nine because the one that got canceled. And odds are they were under they were underdogs against Wisconsin. Realistically, Nebraska may only be a favorite in one of their eight nine games this year. Yeah. Maybe Minnesota, their favorite. I don't, I don't know that. But I would think in West Lafayette, their dogs next week as well.
3: And so, you know, there's the old adage that, you know, winning is probably the best medicine for for all of those issues you know getting confidence getting guys to buy in and uh trusting each other and developing that rapport that you need to hold each other accountable well they did just win they played a, a you know probably their their best game i mean maybe not statistically but uh you know they they found a way to win which they hadn't done in far too long and they had actually some some good juju on their side and then what do they do they come out and have maybe their worst week of practice of the year like that That, I think, is a much bigger issue than anything that's happening on the field is how things like that are allowed to happen during the week, especially in such a critical week and a critical game for this team to actually take that next step.
2: All right, when we come back, I'm going to bring in Tom Cakert of HawkeyeReport.com. We'll get his thoughts and breakdown on the game next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show.
0: This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. It's great we get to play Iowa. I got so much respect for Coach Ferentz and their program. We've been in two close ones that we lost the last second, the first two years. Um, they're going to make you earn it, man. They, they're a physical team. They're good on defense. They, they do a great job on offense. We're excited to be playing, and it has been a weird year. It's been a challenging year, trying to handle every, every one of these weird situations the right way, but great that we're getting a chance to, to play this football game.
2: We're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan now joined uh, by a longtime friend and Rivals.com colleague, Tom Kaker of dot as tom this is the 10th year in a row nebraska and iowa have played on black friday um, i know in 2021 obviously it might it's going to take a one-year hi- hiatus but you know this feels pretty normal i mean nebraska iowa now 10 years of doing this here on black friday
4: yeah it took a pandemic to make it happen this year though uh, but uh yeah it's i you know, I just I, I I really enjoy, and I think Kirk Ferentz has said this many times too that he really enjoys this Black Friday thing. And I, I think a lot of us were uh, I don't know about skeptical, but just kind of wondering. Oh, I wonder how this is going to feel with Friday football games around Thanksgiving. And you know, it feels pretty good. And I think from Kirk's perspective, it probably feels pretty good because Iowa's had a lot of success in recent years on Black Friday, so that probably ups his uh, his mood and his desire to play this game as well.
2: Yeah, and, and you look at this series historically, it, ha- it has it's had a lot of influence for both programs. I mean, you think about Mike Riley and Bo Pelini were fired after games against Iowa, and uh, when Bo Pelini was fired, it was after he had beaten Iowa and Nebraska's athletic director made the legendary comments that he didn't really care about Nebraska's win over Iowa because Iowa wasn't really a good program in his opinion, and that, that was kind of the moment that – turned Iowa's program and they went to the Rose bowl and, uh, things turned around pretty quickly in Iowa city.
4: Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, the, the Sean, I uh, uh <laughs> quote, which will live in, uh, in infamy. And, um, yeah. And since then, Iowa, although the last, you know, I'll say this the last two years, it's been fun, uh, you know, fun games. I mean, there were a couple, um, lopsided ones towards Iowa for Iowa in recent years, but the last two, and you can't argue with the game going down to the last uh, last minute of the game, last seconds of the game, and, and kicking a field goal. And then, you know, the, kind of the, the rivalry has just picked up. I just, you know, noticing it this week. It, this rivalry is um, right there with Iowa State in terms of uh, Iowa fans. They're just all fired up about this game. And, you know, you see the Keith Duncan gifts are everywhere from, uh, you know, uh, his uh, salute at the end of the game last year. I love stuff like that. You know, either way, it's just it's fun to 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 have guys playing it up and and having a, a good rivalry going.
2: And I'll tell you, Tom, a guy that's kind of made this thing go more or a little bit is Eric Shenander, Nebraska's defensive coordinator, former Iowa Hawkeye player uh, that played for Kirk yep. Ferentz. But you know, he got he got Oliver Martin or played an influence in getting him to transfer to Nebraska. Ezra Miller's here now. Um, they they're going to sign three players from Iowa this year including Thomas Fedoni and you know Nebraska's never done that um, that I can remember um, and you know a lot of that Shenander and that kind of has increased and then Iowa on the other side gets Keegan Johnson a legacy who arguably had the best season of any player in the state of Nebraska I, I think it's between him and Cole Payton, uh, the West side quarterback who's right now at least committed to North Dakota State but I'll tell you Shenander has really added a little bit of juice to this rivalry and by the way, Tom Oliver Martin on the field last week had a catch, a couple catches for Nebraska, <laughs> so he will be in Iowa City on the field here on Friday.
4: His uh, his hometown, Iowa City, you know, just a stone's throw away from Iowa City West is where the the Kinnick Stadium is. So it's uh, that's wild. And here's some other things with Shenander. When he was out at Oregon, he's the one that led Iowa to really kind of uh, rethink. Their practice schedule. Um, they were trying to, you know, after 2014, looking to kind of change things around within the program. And Brian Ferentz went out to see Chenander, which is ironic because Brian's the offensive coordinator and Chenander's the D coordinator, and talked about how the, the Chip Kelly system there at the time the, that they had um, uh, practiced in the morning because they felt like they got better results and got practice in and uh, guys could go about their day. And, um, so I was switched to the morning practice and that was before the 2015 season and Iowa goes undefeated in the regular season
2: that year. So obviously I was still practicing in the morning. And <laughs> Nebraska, when Scott Frost got here, they made a huge switch to the morning, which they've never done that here. And Mike Riley tried to do morning practices and they told him he couldn't do it. Uh, but obviously when Scott Frost came, they, they made that happen. So yeah, there are a lot of, and there's mutual respect, Scott Frost, Said that here this week. I mean, the amount of respect he has towards Kirk Ferentz. I mean, a lot of the staff spent time at Northern Iowa for a number of years coaching. So there, there's just a common connection, I think, between these two coaches. And I know the fans and, and the social media world. There's a lot of a lot of bitter rivalry. I deal with in my own family. I've got um I've got another cousin by the way, Tom. That's a member of the Iowa marching band. So I, I'm 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 surrounded by Hawkeyes in my own family here in Nebraska. <laughs> yeah,
4: it's um. It's gonna be fun. Uh, it's the, the the sad part of this is that uh, we won't have you know the fans in black and gold and the fans in red and white in the stands this year uh, to to enjoy that game the, the game at Kinnick Stadium and that's gonna feel really weird. Um, you know, it's felt weird all year. I, I know you guys have felt that too out at Memorial Stadium in Lincoln. That uh, without fans, it just it, it feels completely different.
2: We're we're talking to Tom Kakerd here of com. Tom, let's get into Iowa now here um and it, it just felt like a traditional start to Iowa, you know, a little bit of a slower start, close losses though to Purdue and Northwestern, but we've seen this team really turn it on the last 3 weeks um with 3 20 plus point victories um which really tells you the coaching job the staff has done to kind of get this team where they're at and honestly they're they're right towards the top of this conference right now it appears.
4: Yeah, they um you know, it just it seemed like, the, to begin with, they, they were figuring things out on defense and trying to figure out the offense a little bit, and uh, the offense still isn't there, even though they've scored over 30 points in the last, uh, each of the last three games. The offense, the passing game in particular, has not really started to click. Spencer Petras has not been great. I think he's been average to below average so far, taking over for Nate Stanley this year under center. Um, it's got a lot of talent at wide receiver. I think the key has been, I was run game. They've, uh, they're averaging over 180 yards a game on the ground, five yards a carry, they've been able to establish the run game, even though they've kind of had a little bit of a revolving door uh, along the offensive line. The, the keys have been, they've, they've, uh, they've got Tyler Linderbaum, uh, who's, you know, gonna maybe be a contender for the Remington award this year. I think is the you know pro football focus has him as the number one center in college football all right now uh by their grading system so uh, you got him Alaric jackson a, a veteran tackle uh cole Banwart stepped in at, at guard and done really well uh and they seem to have found something with cody ince uh, uh, a guard who stepped in for kyler shot who's been out injured and then uh you know that, that right tackle position. They're in their third right tackle right now. Jack Plum went in for most of the second half of the game at Penn State. Uh, but Mark Kallenberger's been in there. An Indiana transfer, Coy Kronk, has been out for a couple weeks uh, with a, a lower leg injury. So, don't know if he'll be back or if Kallenberger will be available, but they just haven't missed a beat running the ball. And on defense, they're just creating turnovers. I and mean, they're just, they, they picked off a couple more passes. Everybody saw the highlight of Davion Nixon, their 305-pound defensive tackle, uh, picking off a pass and then doing a Euro step and, and cruising into the end zone for, uh, you know, over 50-yard return uh, for a touchdown. Um, you know, they've just uh, they've been able to really get things going defensively, and I think that's been... More than anything else, the key uh, to Iowa's success the last three weeks.
2: And as we wrap it up here with Tom K. Kurt, what jumps out to you about Nebraska? I know last week's game really soured a lot of people on them the way they lost to Illinois. Uh, but if you take that out of it, I mean, what what have you seen? Or w- when you look at Nebraska, I mean, what worries you about them going into this game for Iowa? Uh,
4: um, just the the they've got playmakers, the guys that can make plays. Um, I think that has to be a big concern and, and they've got the ability to score points when they get going, they can put them up in bunches. So, um, the mobile quarterback, I think has, has to be a problem. I mean, even though Penn state really struggled, will Levis, uh, their, uh kind of running quarterback, I guess you will. He was chunking some yards in the first half and, and making some plays. So, you know, when you look at, uh, Luke McCaffrey or, uh, Adrian Martinez, guys that can really do some things on the ground with their feet um that's got to be a big concern for Iowa
2: well Tom happy Thanksgiving and uh looking forward to getting a chance to to say hi to you here in the press box on Friday
4: that sounds great Sean look forward to seeing you all
2: right much more to come here we'll be joined by Nate Klaus as we get uh some thoughts on the high school state championship games and more you're listening here to the Husker Online Show (laughs)
0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska
1: athletics. I'm from the Midwest, I'm from Minnesota, so I'm familiar with the Big Ten and a huge football fan when I was a kid. So I I know uh, Nebraska-Iowa is a huge game and um, we've obviously went over that and reiterated how big this game is. And like always, you gotta take one game at a time and this is our our one
2: game and we're gonna treat this like the most important game. I think we're gonna come out ready. And welcome back here to the Husker Line Show. Final segment of the show, that was graduate transfer wide receiver Levi Falk in his first Heroes Trophy game as he came here from South Dakota. Uh, But as you heard, a Midwest guy knows the importance of this week. And closing the show here now, we're going to bring in Nate Klaus as we'll talk some recruiting here. Nate, I want to get right to the Class A State Championship game. Obviously, you got to watch the game. I was there um, at Westside, and and I think we both saw the same thing. Uh, Cole Payton when you watched his performance and his play in that game, that, that was kind of the recruiting storyline now of the week. Did Nebraska, A, miss out on Cole Payton? B, did they pick the wrong quarterback in-state between him and and Harburg at Kearney Catholic? And C, is there a way to make it work maybe with Cole Payton? I mean, those are all the questions I think all of us have right now.
5: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, after being able to watch Cole Payton – um, all season long I, I mean he he had an unbelievable senior year uh and you could see it last year as a junior you know as as he led that west side team to uh to state runners up finish And, um yeah you know i I think they did miss the boat there i mean you 're talking about a six three two hundred and fifteen pound athlete uh i don 't care i mean you strip take the position away i mean he's i think he 's an athlete that could help your your football team in in some way. Uh, now, would he want to be, you know, the second quarterback in a class? Did Nebraska take the wrong in-state quarterback? I don't know. Um, I'm I'm not willing to to go ahead and and say that. But there's no doubt in my mind that uh, he, he's a phenomenal player, and I think he's going to do great things at North Dakota State. If if Nebraska did come into the picture late with him, um, I it's it's, I've been led to believe that he would stick with um, North Dakota state, that, uh, that he would, that he would honor that commitment. um, And not necessarily because he's uh, totally, you know, kind of put off by Nebraska that maybe they didn't, didn't uh, recognize his talents earlier. uh, But, but mostly just because of, you know, that's, uh, kind of the right thing to do. That, he, that he's uh, uh, would be sticking with the team that that did uh, kind of come to the table. We're one of the first bigger teams to to offer him, and and I mean, shoot, you can't argue with the success that that program has had with the quarterback position either.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Line shows. We talk recruiting with Nate Klaus, and Nate, you could also argue that a lot of this goes back. Um, to the restrictions COVID has put on recruiting. I mean, Nebraska really hasn't had a chance to see Cole Payton a lot in person. Obviously, they didn't have it at a a camp this summer. I'm not even sure last summer if they really evaluated him all that heavily when he was in Lincoln. I assume he went to their camp. I don't actually know that um, when he was going into his junior season. Um, But the bottom line is, they didn't really get to see Cole Payton. They didn't get to talk to him a lot because of COVID, and you know, there's going to be a lot of that in recruiting. There's going to be guys that fall through the cracks because people didn't get to see these kids in person or spend time with them on their campus and eyeball them. And Cole Payton may be one of those guys right here in our own backyard.
5: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I think that, you know, in a normal year, um, I think what Nebraska probably would have done, and, and they even talked with, at least with Harburg about it, is that, Hey, you need to come to camp and you need to throw for us in person, and we need to, you know, we want to we want to work with you, be hands on with you, and, and see you throw in person, and uh, um, you know, and he was totally on board with that. He was planning on going to the to their their quarterback camp or, or the Friday Night Lights or whatever, and uh, working out for the staff and everything. And I think in a normal year, what probably would have happened is you probably would have had Harburg and Peyton working out side by side. And um, you know, kind of, kind of go all the way back to Nick Stoltenberg, Harrison Phillips type of people, where it, it seemed like when those two guys were working out at, at Nebraska's camp, it was um, they were both kind of trying to earn one scholarship. And um, you know, I, I think I, I just have this feeling that that's what it would have been like. And uh, obviously, with the with COVID and the the recruiting dead period that was put into place because of that. Uh, Pandemic, you know that that never happened, and um, so Nebraska was, you know, they had to kind of make a tough decision, and um, and this is taking nothing away from from Heinrich Harburg. I think, you know, he's a phenomenal athlete himself. He's six five, um, you know, got a tremendous speed and um, and a ton of skill as well. So I mean, um, and he's he's a great player too, but uh, I do think things would have been drastically different. Um, You know, when it comes to recruiting, not just the quarterback position, but a lot of in-state players, I think, kind of missed out on an opportunity to be able to, to be seen by Nebraska and a bunch of other schools.
2: Nate, what's funny is Harburg was actually at that game on Friday night, um, a group of those commits. I want to say Thomas Fedoni was there too. Um, and they, they said hi to me along the fence. I just didn't even think they couldn't get in the stadium. They were watching the game outside the fence at Phelps Field at Westside, um, you know, getting a, a chance to see Teddy and, and Kobe Brett playing that game in person.
5: Yeah, that's and that's pretty cool. Uh, think, and that kind of speaks to – how how tight knit this this group of commits are, um, you know, especially the the regional, the in state guys and the regional guys. That I mean, a lot of these guys work out together. A lot of them, um, you know, we're we're on a seven on seven or we're planning to be on a seven on 7 seventeen together this this past spring, and um, you know, so that's that's pretty cool that that all those guys were there to to check out the the Class A game and um, you know, especially Harburg who drove from Carney. Uh, all the way to, to Omaha to to check that out and, and to, to spend time with Thomas and and some of those other guys.
2: Nate, I got to ask you this now too. Obviously, social media is a big part of recruiting. It's probably the biggest part of recruiting now without on campus visits. and during that game on Saturday uh, against Illinois, you, you saw some tweets that maybe raised some red yeah. flags with current commits. Are you worried at all right now, especially if things really take a turn here over these final three games on some of these guys signing in December?
5: Yeah, no, I'm not really worried about it. Um, I've had an opportunity to, to talk with with a handful of the commits and and have a pretty good relationship and feel for things with with a lot of guys. And and uh, you know, there's definitely some frustration, but more than anything, it's it's kind of a with these guys at least it it's more of a motivation um, instead of uh, you know in the years past and we've been to, or several times. Uh, in years past, you know, when when there's an ugly game or where there's a rough patch uh, in a season, you know, you you can kind of get a sense for oh man, um, things things are about to, to go off the deep. Um, and that's we're we're far far from that with this group of guys. They're they're motivated to get on campus. Uh, the large majority of these players are going to be enrolling early, and and they're they're motivated to get here and get to work. Uh, I know. Thomas Fidoni was extremely fired up about the Illinois game. Um, and not because he, he doesn't know, you know, not because he's questioning his commitment to Nebraska. He's fired up because he wants to get here and get to work to make sure that that's again.
2: Yeah. Nate, um, and you broke that down earlier last week. I mean, of the commits right now, how many, what, what's the 70, 75% of these guys are going to be here in January. Am I wrong?
5: Yeah, for sure. Um, of the current twenty commits are going to be enrolling early, and as many out of the twenty. Um, and then, of course, you've got the uh, the graduate transfer Chris Kal- Kalor, uh, who's going to be um, you know graduating from Northern Iowa and enrolling early. So, uh, so you got as many as seventeen out of out of twenty one guys that that are going to be potentially be on campus early as early enrollees, which you know I don't recall a time where there's been more early enrollees or potentially as as many enrollees as as what we're going to see this year.
2: All right. Well, lots to follow. Uh, I'll be in Iowa City um, covering the game against Iowa. Plenty of basketball as well. Nebraska basketball had three games this week, and Robin will have you covered on that. And Nate and the guys will keep you up to date as we are closing in on that December signing day.